The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. And we welcome back for one last time, BK from BK on the Air. Molly and Eric, thanks a lot. Glad to be here again. Thank you for joining us for this week. It's been awesome. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to the Minute 42. Dun, 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 dun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we can get Eric to sing again. I'll try to find a way to sneak something in. We can Please do. Please do. <laughs> Eric's going to send out a whole whole album. So we're going to do a, a Patreon. And if you <laughs> give us a certain amount of money, then you're going to get a full crooner album of, of Eric Deutsch tunes. That's right. <laughs> now that everybody... Smooth brandy. Well, after after my recommendation in yesterday's minute, I'm sure everyone listening heard the Frank Sinatra, Mrs. Robinson. So, it, uh, yeah, I'll I'll do my Frank Sinatra, Mrs. Robinson on that uh, release. Just just so I lo- <laughs> just so I love New York and chocolate nuts is on there. That's all. I <laughs> Get a free bag of chocolate nuts too. That's right. <laughs> well, we are at minute forty two, and it begins with Snake micromanaging the lighting of a cigarette. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the chock full of nuts girl uh, filling snake in on who the folks are who are running around and uh, ends up with the girl figuring out who snake is. Well, she does recognize him like a lot of people in the film do. And she says the old uh, you're snake Kliskin. Uh, and she thought he was dead. Has anyone actually I'll ask you two guy, uh, you, you two guy, guy, girl, boy and girl, man and woman. Sorry. Has anyone counted how many times that line has been used in the film? Well, yet? it's funny you should say that, BK, because I am keeping track as we do this. This is <laughs> the second time. To- this is the second time so far. Cabby was the first one. Uh, I know off the top of my head there's a third that, have, that I won't spoil. Um, right. I'm hoping there's more than just those three. Uh, and so uh, we'll find out. And at the end of the show, we will have a full tally. And there's a great bit of trivia about, and and I don't want to spoil anything, but you can talk about it in other minutes, I'm sure, that everyone, there are more people that say it, and they have something in common. And I'm sure you guys will get into that, too, which is very kind of morbid mm-hmm. in its own right. But uh, mm-hmm. that line is, is it true that that line, I thought you were dead or I heard you were dead, was, did they did they lift that or bar it or get it from the John Wayne film Big Jake from 1971? Because it's kind of said in that film, too, and I've heard that that's, I don't know if they purposely did that, but that's another film where that line is prominently used, I think. I have no idea. John Wayne's Big Jake. Yep, I think, I think, if, if memory serves. But, you know, I'm 53 now, and Alzheimer's is starting to set in. So, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, you know, so maybe I could be wrong. I don't know. Well, I think there's something to that. I you know, And again, because this movie is almost 40 years old, but... I feel like there's some type of a trope that exists within this that I don't think is original to John Carpenter. So I, because there, and you had mentioned actually off mic about uh, cowboys and uh, Westerns and this being similar feel to a Western in a sense. I, I think that there's something to what you're saying, that there's already something psychologically within the culture 
that equates it to somebody being a badass and and that could plausibly have origins in westerns already right and you alluded to uh it would be it would be cool to see some sort of uh escape from new york prequel television show that maybe netflix or amazon prime or someone could do out there that would focus on a prequel show to find out just exactly how snake got this reputation of how everyone knows kind of knows him and thought he was dead what happened to him that made people think that he was dead <laughs> was it more than mm-hmm. one thing or one particular incident? So, so yeah, I think it would be a great backstory that would that would help add to that. Yeah, that's a great shorthand to be like. Obviously, this guy is a badass, and he's known in the criminal underground. I mean, we don't know how long you know, quote unquote, Maureen has been down here, but that there's already a network of people who have heard that he was dead and are getting some sort of a rumor mill, and they're all aware of him is interesting to me too. And it's a good shorthand. I mean, it's fabulous writing in and of itself, but yeah, I feel like there's some sort of, you know, badass cowboy mystique with that. Well, there's more, there's more going on in the scene too. They're both still there inside chock full of nuts and it's still dark, but the, but, but it's lit in a way where we can see what's going on. And I really love the lighting and the lattice, the, the shadows that the lattice work is is throwing on Kurt's face, the little little X marks that are lighting him up with shadows. And as we progress through this scene, the shadows of the crazies visibly moving by, you don't see them, but you see their shadows on Snake's face and the scene coming through, uh, again, used very effectively here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. I also that there's a lot of world building that happens in 60 seconds here, which is another just... I mean, and I know some of the scene is is ad libbed, but uh, there's a bit of world building here in this moment, right around 11 seconds in, of Maureen saying, "Hey, this is a real one," referencing the cigarette, right. and you just get in. So there's an implication there that real cigarettes are difficult to come by. Yeah, which yeah. which made me think of what are they smoking? Yeah, yeah. Like, if, <laughs> oh, this is real. So what? Like, what is what is the filler of a of a Manhattan prison cigarette usually? And do we want to know? <laughs> I don't know. Right. You're right. She's so happy to get a real one. I wonder. You're right. Yeah. Well, what do you guys think of the uh, what do you guys think of the line when she goes, you're a cop? And then Snake simply just says, I'm an asshole. Well, as, <laughs> as a kid, by that? as a kid, I thought it was one of the most awesome lines anyone had ever said. To me, ever. <laughs> it, it was, was such such dripping with such great. coolness and badassery. Oh, yeah. Just, I don't give a crap. It's like I just, I I love it. I just like I'm mm. an asshole. I love it. There could be so much meaning in that. I, I think maybe Snake Snake could mean this as more being that he's a chump for accepting this mission instead of being instead of maybe him being bad. It could mean that he's bad. I agree with that. But it also could mean that he's I'm an asshole. I'm a chump for coming in here for doing this mission. You know, I'm not going to get out of here. This is crazy. I'm an asshole. That that's another way of thinking that uh, that that he may be. That, that's another way of delivering that line. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think your interpretation is is probably the correct one, especially because I believe it was last week. There's that minute, uh, that, that shot of him after he gets out of the uh, Broadway theater and he's just sitting there on the chair smoking, and it's obviously just seemed like what you know, what the hell is is you know, is happening? <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I'm in this fucked up situation. Uh, so I think that yeah, that's that's probably a more accurate read of it. You know, just like yeah, I've been played like a complete schmuck. I'm an asshole. <laughs> Uh, my interpretation came from, you know, being like an eight year old watching the movie and just like, Oh yeah. So cool. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you 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 became Beavis and Butthead for just a second. Went, uh, he said asshole. Uh, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> which was great. And you, funny, you should mention the chair. I know it's not in this in, in this minute, but he does pull up the chair at the street corner and sit there and relax. But uh, wouldn't it have been more interesting if he pulled up that aforementioned high heel shoe chair and <laughs> sat down in it? That would have been much more funny, but not quite as effective for Snake. <laughs> It would have been funny, though. It would have been funny. It would have been, yeah. God. I don't know. Maybe if he was back in the theater, that could have been right. more of that. I it's really the- think, you know, she wants to, and I I, I liked it that, that Molly calls her uh, calls her uh, by her, her name in the book, which is Maureen, which is much more, uh, sounds much better than girl in Chock Full of Nuts. But uh, I think that she wants, she kind of wants Snake to take him with her. Uh, through that dialogue, and I kind of, I kind of think that Snake, it, it, with all things being equal, and things had turned out perfectly for his mission. Part of me thinks Snake would have took her back out mm-hmm. with him, the way Snake is. I know he's a hard ass and a badass, but we said before that he is. There is a good guy hidden somewhere in Snake Pliskin. Part of me thinks the good guy would have would have taken him with her, or taken her with him. Yeah, and not to get too far ahead here, but I, I feel like. The the cool part of these minutes is that a love interest is intimated here that doesn't actually happen. And right. I think that's part of, again, good writing is that we have this like, oh, this is this is where the romance comes in. Right. right. Like you're the yeah. antihero. This is going to go down uh, a particular uh, physically affectionate route. And uh, you guys are going to like hook up and run around. It's going to be good shit. And uh and we get surprised, and that doesn't actually happen. Well, the one thing he has in common with her right off the bat is she's hiding from the crazies, and neither one of them are part of that crazy group. So they're they're both probably a little more uh, level headed, wanting to survive and and hiding from the crazies. So they they've got at least that in common already right off the right off the bat. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And she is like I had said previously the the sanest person that he's run into enough that he's able to actually ask her some questions, uh, you know, inquiring about, Hey, did you happen to see the plane go down? Um, you understand that there's also that there's a, when I was talking about world building, that there's a sense of clans or groups here. Cause she mentions the, the skulls and the Turks, which we don't, I, I don't know that we ever really hear anything more than that in the rest of the movie. I don't recall don't, that Eric. No, okay. Don't. Yeah. It's it's, so, it's also it's interesting the way that she she mentions that you know you know he says you know are you you around here she's like you know skulls you kidding I'm with the Turks now and like the way that she says it is so derisive of you know what are you an idiot I can't believe that you think I'm a skull I'm a Turk and she already knows that he's new it's already been established that he just got in with the new cigarettes so it's just it's interesting that it's it just I, I found it interesting the way that she put that across that sort of like you know you should know better than to say that to me. Like, mm-hmm. even if he wasn't new, why the hell would he even know who she is, you know, or what group she runs with, you know? Right. And I think snake is just, if you ask him what he thought about the girl in chalk full of nuts, what does he think about her at the time? He's like, Oh, I'm just glad that, uh, I, you're right. I've met somebody that isn't trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is, which is great. And so, you know, we, we've referred to a, a couple of times now at this point, the, um, snake, having not not wanting her to have the light shown but the thing is when he was outside as we talked about earlier this week they ran right by him they paid him no attention whatsoever and so it's just interesting that 
he wants the flame to not be seen by the crazies outside when you'd think you'd be like, well, I guess these guys might not care I'm here because they just ran right past me without doing anything. Yeah, that is an interesting observation that now he's all of a sudden uh, concerned with uh, the crazies finding him in the in the building there when you're right they didn't pay they didn't pay him no mind before when he was out there <laughs> right right i mean my first thought was like well maybe he's concerned about them picking up on the fact that he has resources on him but he's also running around with basically and i mean it's not an uzi but he's got a giant gun that he's running around <laughs> with and there's more of them than there are of him and so that might be something that if you were looking and rummaging for resources as they are doing supposedly right now that you might want to go ahead and you know see what he's got going. he's got cargo shorts or cargo pants on maybe he's got sweet shit in his pockets we should probably go check that out <laughs> Uh, but they don't. But yeah, it is a it is a little bit of a, a strange inconsistency that he's he's worried about flashing their attention when they just didn't give a shit like a few minutes ago. Well, we are talking about Snake here and Kurt Russell, and uh, I grew up watching Kurt uh, playing much different characters uh, <laughs> with Disney yeah. growing up. <laughs> Uh, and it is this is the first, at least for me, and I guess for everyone and and, and the public and Hollywood and, and fans of, of movies and knowing him. I think this would be could be credited as his first breakout role that made you believe Kurt Russell could be a tough guy and shake that, that image. I read Carpenter really wanted, he, Carpenter went to bat for him to, to play Pliskin when they wanted just a, a, a list of other people. I've, I've seen how many people they were considering as snake Pliskin before him. And I don't know how many of them were actually true. Like Tommy Lee Jones, Charles Bronson, several other people were, were, were one there. The studios wanted them to play it, but, uh, but Kurt uh, Carpenter really went to bat for him. And, and, um, and and I think it paid off, and he actually pulled it off because people were saying you get you get worried when you hear about an actor taking on a role that you don't think they can do. And I'm sure people back then were just like some of us were when uh, we heard uh, Michael Keaton's going to play Batman. Really, mm. back in '89, we were like, mm-hmm. "You're kidding!" The guy that was in uh, uh, Night Shift and 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 the comedic actor Michael Keaton's playing Batman. So when you hear someone's going to play a role, I'm sure those guys back then in the uh, in the producer studio were like, "You want that kid from the from the Walt Disney films and the, played the Jungle Boy from Gilligan's Island <laughs> to play Snake Plissken? Really?" So I understand their doubts, but I think he he showed them all up and uh, and and did it and did a fantastic job. Yeah, it's I mean, iconic now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and and. It was written in different places too, and some of the research that that we all look at is uh, he he he's I've read that he based his performance on Clint Eastwood. Where I can see that he's very Clint Eastwood ish when he talks and and the, the gravelly, whispery voice and the tough voice. But but uh, I don't think it's any kind of a ripoff. I don't think of Clint Eastwood when he's doing Snake Plissken. Uh, but after this, he did start getting offers of of those roles. He went on to play, you know, Wyatt Earp and Tombstone and 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 any other plethora of uh, of tough characters you can think about. So, uh, right, I'll have to edit for a few seconds here, I guess. I uh, thought that I thought the storm had knocked out the power there. For <laughs> no, 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 no. I was uh, actually I was I just scared. thinking about uh, Tombstone, and yeah, yeah. I, I think you're I think you're right on, um, and I, I think we've talked a little bit about this in in previous minutes, but yeah, just to you know reinforce what you're saying, yeah, this definitely this made him really be able to break out in a lot of different ways as an actor. And there would be no tombstone without this. And right, or, or any other said Kurt Russell, tough role, I think, because he, you know, he played Elvis before, but Elvis wasn't really a tough 
guy character. He was Elvis. So right, yeah. right, yeah. I yeah. Um, what was the other uh, Big Trouble in Little China? I think is a is a real cousin to this movie in a lot of ways, and I don't think we would have gotten that movie without this either. Or the, him he, that role. right. And even even in Big Trouble in Little China, playing uh, playing uh, Jack, he's the tough guy, but the buffoon on top of that, which he plays perfectly as well, which is great. Yes. He's still tough, but he's a he's a goofball in it that has no control over what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in fact, I think I would have. I'd love to see Kurt Russell play a really real, like a, a true sinister character, because this isn't it, and he always has a little bit of, I think, lightheartedness to him in the roles that he plays. Well, in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, he plays, I don't know if either one of you have seen that, but he plays Ego, and he's he's very much evil in that movie. He is the main bad guy of that movie. Right. Starts off very nice. Yeah, but that's all a facade, though. Yeah, Yeah, that's a facade. I I would say that, uh, what's the uh, Tarantino film he plays? Is it Death Proof, where he plays the the driver killer guy? Oh, yeah. Right. That's, that's pretty. That's pretty ominous. There. That was pretty. That was pretty uh, uh, against the grain of Kurt Russell there as well, but done very well too. But I, th- I think you're right. Without Snake, I don't think if he'd been successful as Snake, I don't know if any of those would have been would have come his way. Yeah, I'd like to see him be like a Bond villain, like just go just full on nasty, you know. But you're right. I think Death Proof is probably the closest that he's had because I mean, Ego. You're right. Ego is the main villain. That's fair to say. But because he's like, like, hey, guys, I'm I'm riding a spaceship and waving to you from across <laughs> right. the way. Like, I, I have this very, you know, lighthearted sort of impression of him, even though he's, you know, a little, little genocidal. But he's just a tad genocidal. Just, just, just a little genocidal. He's, he's not fully genocidal. Only a little yeah. bit genocidal. <laughs> he, only, he only wants to destroy and eat the entire, entire universe and planets. That's all. They, yeah. you know, that's all he wants to do. But her, her point about the Bond film, that would be an interesting role for him to play because that would mean he would be the, the, the evil intense character that wouldn't necessarily have to fight and be physically uh, intimidating. It would be more of a, a, a bigger than life villain uh, like bond villains usually are. That would be very interesting if that were to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think he could do it. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. I, I love Kurt Russell. I think he's great. One other thing that I had, uh, just from an article interview with uh, season, uh, they asked, "How did you prepare for the role?" And according to you, is Maureen a quote crime groupie or a female gang leader? And her response was, "Maureen wow. is definitely a crime groupie all the way." And how do you think Maureen ended up in New York's maximum security prison? And Season's response was, "She had been the girlfriend of one of the hottest coke dealers, gang leaders in the Bronx." When he got busted and sent into Manhattan, she wanted to be with him. She sliced some girl's face up. <laughs> wow. I know. I'm like, that shit's intense. Wow. <laughs> well, that, that, uh, that kind of says it all, doesn't it? That's yeah. We'll up there. <laughs> well, great. leave on that note. <laughs> I just I do want to re- just remind everybody, if they get a chance to watch Vice Squad, if you want to see a film where she is the co-star, she has a, a, almost, she's almost the star of the film. She's equal billing it to the star in that film, and she's fantastic in Vice Squad from 1982. Cool. Now, you know, pr- participating in the Movies by Minute podcast, as you guys do, and we all do, you really get a deeper into the movies that you love, and, you know, you thought you knew, and you learn even more about them when you when you really delve into them one minute at a time, and this one's no exception. I heard 
years ago about the <clears throat> you guys i'm sure you're familiar with the deleted bank robbery scene that originally kicked off the beginning of the film and i don't know if you guys have talked about it or covered it maybe in the early part of the of the of the this particular show by the time um, this episode airs we will all we all we as we record this we have already recorded it good uh, and by the time this episode <laughs> airs it will have posted we're we're doing a bonus episode on the deleted scene Good. I didn't want to be, put a big spoiler or anything, but the reason I pointed it out was uh, finding out things later about films that you didn't know. It's also cool to find out that that scene that they did not include in the in the in the film where they they do the bank heist, uh, the, at least the getaway scene on board the subway train was filmed here in Atlanta on the yep. Martyr Rail System. Yep. And uh, a ton of films and TV are produced here now. We've, we've become pretty popular with that. But uh, this was back in eighty and eighty one. And after this, Burt Reynolds starred, directed, directed in, in uh, a movie called Sharky's Machine in Atlanta, and he filmed it here. So it was still in its infancy in the early 80s here in Atlanta, but that was a, all of that you know, was a harbinger of things to come down here. And I thought that was interesting, finding out that that one scene was, was Marta in Atlanta that they used, kind of a local tie-in here. Yeah, it's always cool when you, when you have those areas that usually movies and TV shows do not film in, and suddenly there's it has that one thing that gets filmed there that everybody gets excited about. I know for me, I, I my college, I, I'm, I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and for, you know, it, it's such a big deal that people go there that that's where Back to School was filmed. Oh, right, yeah, Rodney. You know, <laughs> Rodney so it's yeah. like, you know, even though it's one of the largest colleges in the country, it's not, you know, it's not the city of Madison and the campus is not a place where movies and TV shows film. And so the fact that you can watch that movie and see you know, all of these outdoor scenes at the various areas on the campus, everyone that goes there just loves talking about back to school. So, you know, it's, it's fun when there's that kind of thing. And yeah, obviously Atlanta has really exploded now uh, in the last eh, 10 years or so, but right back then, this was probably a very big deal. It was. And uh, you mentioned back, you, uh, Molly mentioned, uh, and you did uh, Guardians of the Galaxy volume two with Kurt Russell. Uh that the, the entire scene of when uh, Kurt uh, Ego's pods that he had placed in Earth and they started growing and, and turning everything blue and taking everything over, that one shot of the city where, where that's happening is the uh, is Cartersville, where my radio station is. And they were there for an entire weekend filming. Uh, oh, that's cool. It was great to see them all there. They basically shut down the entire town for the whole weekend and paid every business to be closed for the lost revenue. That's uh, where that's where a lot of your budget for a movie comes from. Is yeah. right there is that wow. kind of stuff. So yeah. So I am going to announce our a, a contest here, an Escape from New York Minute contest, and let's 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 see how successful this is. So we talked a lot about chock full of nuts yesterday, and uh, it's it's place in new york city history and the fact that it can be purchased uh, by ex-wives everywhere on shelves <laughs> so very much so <laughs> if you come across chock full of nuts being sold in a store if you actually are at one of the six cafes that is a chock full of nuts or if like me a couple of blocks away there is a gas station that for some reason on its marquee has a gigantic chock full of nuts is served here sign wow we would like you to take a picture and send it to us and Molly and I are going to judge of what we think is the best photo of chock full of nuts out in the wild and the best photo will be a guest for 1 minute of the end credits so uh, we've got an email address that we've done absolutely nothing with, so I finally found a use for it. 
send the photos to escape from New York Minute at gmail.com and Molly and I will will choose it and the, the rules are that you you can send more than one if if you send as many photos as you like you do have to be available in late November or so and have Skype to record this episode. Uh, any previous or future scheduled guests are not eligible for this. It's got to be someone that this will be the only minute they will appear on. And neither members of the Escape from New York Minute team or their relatives are eligible. So, Brad, tough, you have to remain silent still. You cannot <laughs> enter this contest. So, Escape from New York Minute at gmail.com. Send your pictures of Chuck Full of Nuts in the Wild and be a guest during the end credits. Fantastic. Yes. And so with that announcement of this very exciting contest that will make everyone go running out with their cameras to find that awesome yellow and black canister, BK, remind everyone one last time where they can hear you. Well, I appreciate you guys letting me on and, and, and going for another round here on uh, on the uh, Escape from New York Minute. And I appreciate everything you guys have done, your hard work, and wish you continued success. Everybody can hear me if they want. Saturdays, 10 a.m. till noon Eastern, BK on the air at WBHF Radio. That's WBHFradio.org. You can stream from the site, click Listen Live, or you can download the uh, free TuneIn app. And hear me uh, on there. And if you ever missed the show, you can uh, also use SoundCloud. I put the show up there, uh, the new, the old show up, and it stays up there every week and get replaced by the new show next Saturday in case you missed an episode. And we're on Instagram, Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook, BK on the Air. All right, awesome. Thank you again for joining us this week. And for everyone who wants to chat with us, go to Twitter, chat with us at NY Minute Pod. Go to Facebook in Brain's Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. Uh, rate and review us. We'd love to see some positive ratings and reviews. Make sure you subscribe. And until next time, be on time. Stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm.